Welcome everybody to week one of Living Your Blessed Life. This eight-week journey we're taking together as a church to discover how to experience God's blessings in our life. And I'm pretty sure most, if not all of us here, would like a little bit of God's blessing in our life. It's something we all want, we all desire, but here's the reality. If we look at how we live our lives, most of us spend our time and energy running after the best life. We pursue those picture-perfect moments when circumstances all work out the right way, when the stars align, when, when life is good, that's what we run after, those best life moments. And they may last for a day, maybe a week, maybe even a month. But here's the reality. Between those best life moments, there is a lot of struggle. There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of difficulty. And that's why Jesus offers us something better than the best life. He offers us the blessed life. A life where we can experience his presence, his peace, his power, and his purposes in every moment of every day. And Jesus not only offers that blessed life to us, but he tells us exactly how we can find it. He gives us specific steps to experiencing a blessed life. And he does that in the opening eight statements of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. These eight statements, we call them the Beatitudes, perhaps because it is the attitude that we need to be in order to be blessed. These eight things teach us how to get in a posture that makes us blessable by God. And so over the next two months, we're going to unpack one at a time these eight statements, these eight Beatitudes, not just to learn about them, but way more importantly, to figure out how to apply them to our lives. Specific steps that can help us be blessable by God. God. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me. All right. Well, today we're going to look at the first beatitude. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It's also printed there on the top of your outline. Notice what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus says if you want to be blessed by God, you got to be poor in spirit. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, oh, great. Jesus has given the secret to God's blessings, and I can't figure out what he's talking about. I don't know what that means to be poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, obviously, Jesus is not talking about physical poverty, financial or material poverty. He's not saying you're blessed if you're broke. So what is he saying? Well, to help us understand what it means to be poor in spirit, I want to show you just a couple of other English translations of this verse. And let's see if that doesn't help bring some clarity to us. In the New Living Translation, it says, God blesses those who realize their need for Him. The God's Word Translation says, God blesses those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The contemporary English version says, God blesses those who depend only on Him. 
starting to make a little more sense, right? Starting to, to see a pattern there. When Jesus says, blessed in the poor in spirit, here's what he means. To be poor in spirit, write this down, means I humbly depend on God instead of myself. I humbly depend on God instead of myself. I depend on God in my relationships. I depend on God for my job, my finances. I depend on God for my health. And so this morning, what I want to do is look at some practical ways that we can increase our dependence on God and decrease our dependence on ourselves. Five ways that we can daily depend on God instead of depending on ourselves. So if you're taking notes, number one, the first thing I have to do to increase my dependence on God is I have to trust God's wisdom, not mine. Trust God's wisdom, not mine. When it comes to those decisions and choices that I make every day, I need to lean into God's wisdom, not just based on what I think or what I feel or what my idea of what works is. Any of you ever had something that you thought was a really good idea, a really good decision, and then you made it, and it turned out to be a really bad idea? Yeah, anybody got a testimony on that? I mean, you just knew he was the right guy. He was Mr. Perfect, and you pulled the trigger, and about a month in, you realized this dude is a dud, right? Or you just knew this was the perfect job. It's exactly what you needed, and after you'd worked there about two weeks, you're like, why am I here? These people are jacked up, or, or maybe, you know, maybe it was some other decision that you made, an investment, right? It was a can't-miss investment, and you went all in. And then the market crashed, and you're like, what was I thinking? See, that's what happens when we trust our own wisdom instead of trusting God's wisdom. That's what happens when we go with our gut, when we believe our emotions, when we follow our heart. The more I depend on my wisdom, the more broken my life becomes. But the more I trust in God's wisdom, the more blessed my life is. So how do you do this, right? How do you trust or depend on God's wisdom? Two ways. One, pray. Just ask God to give you his wisdom. The Bible tells us in the book of James that if any of us lacks wisdom, just ask God for it. He will give it to us generously, abundantly. And so you just need to ask God, God, show me. Not, God, here's what I'm going to do, and I'd like you to bless it. God, you show me what I need to do. So it starts with prayer. But you also have to read God's Word. If you want to trust in God's wisdom, it'd be nice to know what God's wisdom is. And God's wisdom is found in God's Word. Listen, the Bible is not just a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. It's not a bunch of rules to follow. It's God's revealed wisdom to us. That's why God was so intentional about making sure his wisdom as spoken through the prophets, the words of Jesus, and the writings of the apostles. He made sure that stuff got written down and that it got preserved over thousands of years so that we could have access to it because it's his wisdom. What I'm saying is, if you're not in God's word on a daily basis, the reality is, you're trusting your wisdom 
not God's. In fact, that's the reason why during this Living Your Blessed Life series, we're encouraging you to participate with all of us in a daily reading plan. Time in God's Word. Take out your smartphones. Get your phones out real quick. If you have the Cedar Creek Church app, you're probably going to have a notification on there that's going to take you to where you can sign up for this daily reading plan. Just touch on the Living Your Blessed Life thing. Just get your app out. Open it up. Touch that. You may have to refresh it, but right there at the top, it's going to say Living Your Blessed Life. Just touch that, and down there, you're going to see Daily Reading Plan. Click on it. It's going to take you to the Bible app. You're just going to sign up. You start today. Today is day one of this reading plan. So make sure if you're confused by all this technology, I feel you. Stop by the Welcome Center at your campus. Let somebody help you get this stuff down so that every one of us can not only read together, not only so we can do this cool thing together, but so that you will develop the habit of spending time in God's Word daily so that you can hear His wisdom and then in hearing it, you can apply it. You can depend on God's wisdom, not your own. That's the first thing you have to do to be poor in spirit. But it doesn't stop there. The second thing I have to do to increase my dependence on God is i got to trust God's strength, not mine. Trust God's strength, not mine. So it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about doing it in the right power. Tapping into the right source of strength. Do you ever get tired? Do you ever have those days where you have more day than you have energy to finish the day? Some of you are tired right now. Some of you are tired all the time. You are chronically tired. Do you know why you're tired? Because you're human. Your strength is limited, but God's strength is unlimited. Your strength is finite. But God's strength is infinite. Your strength is exhaustible. That's why you get exhausted. But God's strength is inexhaustible. And if you are depending on your strength, fatigue and exhaustion will be a part of your life. But as you depend on God's strength, He gives you strength that never runs out. Look at Psalm 84, 5. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Do you catch that? He's not saying blessed are those who are spiritually strong, who got it all together, who got it all figured out. He says, no, blessed are those who depend on your strength. The more you depend on God's strength, the more blessed your life will become. The more you depend on your own strength, the weaker and weaker you will become. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. Remember he talked about this thorn in his flesh, this thing that he struggled with day in and day out, and it just sucked the life out of it. It just took all his strength and energy to deal with, and so he prayed over and over and over. He asked God to take it away, and do you remember God's answer? God says, my grace is sufficient for you, but he didn't stop there. He went on to say, my power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? It means when I depend on God's strength, I have the power and the strength I need to get through the day. And can I just tell you, in my own life, I have experienced this truth in a real way over this past year. 
getting through the grief of the death of my son. And I know some of you, y'all look at Terry and I and you go, wow, they're so strong. We are not strong. We are weak, but God is strong. And when we hold on to him, we find strength in that to get through the day. Look, this kind of grief, I'm going to tell you, it's like having a second job. My strength, it takes every bit of my strength just to get out of the bed in the morning, just to take the next breath. That's where my strength ends. And so anything I'm doing as a husband or a dad, as a leader, as a pastor of this church, you just need to understand that's God's strength, not mine. That's my weakness and God's strength revealing itself. How about you? Whose strength are you depending on? Do you know how you know you can answer that question? Do you know how you know you can tell whose strength you're depending on? It's not just whether or not you're tired. It's also about whether or not you get stuck in life. See, when you go through the dark struggles of life, if, if you can't get through it, if you can't move forward, it's probably because you're trying to do it on your own strength, and you don't have the strength to get through that. You live long enough, life will get bigger than your strength can manage. And whether or not you get through it, whether or not you're going to move forward, is going to be dependent on whose strength you're depending on. As a pastor, I often walk with people through some of the most painful, difficult, dark days of life. People going through a divorce, going through a financial crisis, a, a health scare, a lost job, or somebody gets arrested. And in that dark moment of life, here's what I've noticed. Some people get through it, and some people never get over it. And you know what I see the difference as being? Whose strength they're depending on. Who are they leaning on to get them through it? So let me ask you this. What does your fatigue level say about whose strength you're depending on? What part of your past is still controlling your present and your future? I'm not minimizing the pain you went through. In fact, I'm maximizing. I'm saying it's way bigger than you can deal with in your on strength you got to trust God's wisdom you got to trust God's strength and then number three you got to trust God's timing not mine trust God's timing not mine you know there's an old saying that says timing is everything there's a reason that's an old saying because there's a lot of truth to it now look I don't think timing is everything but I think timing is a big thing in almost everything in our lives. I mean, you see it in sports, right? You know the difference between a major league pitcher who makes a million dollars throwing 90 miles an hour and a struggling guy in the farm leagues who can't break 85? It's not size. It's not strength. It's timing. Same with golf. Any of you play golf? You know why a guy like Justin Thomas, who weighs 150 pounds soaking wet, can hit it 320 yards? It's not strength. It's timing. Timing affects every area in our life. And that same thing is true in our journey with God. It's not just about what God is doing in your life. It's when he chooses to do it. The Bible is very clear that there are seasons in our lives. 
We go through different seasons, and one of those seasons is a season of waiting. There's always going to be times when you're in a season of waiting. And if you're like me, I hate it. I hate having to wait because I'm a hurry-up, get-it-done guy. I'm always in a hurry. And the problem is God is never in a hurry because God is eternal. And not only are we in a hurry in our nature, but we live in a culture that's all about hurry. You know, we're all about the fast pass, the fast lane, the fast food drive through. Like for me, when I go through a drive through when I hand the money into the first window, I want to see the hand in the bag coming out the second window. I don't even want to stop. I don't want to wait 20 seconds for a meal. But when it comes to God moving in your life, you're going to have to learn to wait. But understand this. When you're waiting, God is working. When you're waiting on him to answer that prayer, he's not ignoring you because he's busy with somebody else or he doesn't have time. When the moment you start praying, God starts working. Many times he's working on you. He wants to bless you, but he's got to get you blessable. Many times he's working on the people and circumstances around you that you can't see. But he's always working. So whose timing you going to depend on? Notice what David, King David writes, Psalm 31. He says, but I trust in you, Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. Understand, this is a guy who waited 20 plus years for God to fulfill a promise that he had made to David to make him king. 20 years waiting on that promise to come true. Most of those 20 years he spent running for his life. And yet he is called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was poor in spirit. He trusted God's timing more than his own. Now listen, David was not perfect. And there were times when, when he ran ahead of God. And every time he did that, it ended in disaster. You ever done that? Run ahead of God, try to answer your own prayer. You pray and ask God to bring you that right woman, that right man, and God's not answering, so you say, well, I'll just answer this prayer myself. Must be, you know, he's depending on me to do it. And then you run out and it turns into a mess. See, much of the brokenness in our life is not because we're doing the wrong thing. It's not because we're doing things that God doesn't want us to do. It's because we're not waiting on God's timing. So let me ask you, what are you waiting on God for? What prayer do you keep praying over and over and it seems like it's never going to happen? Listen, I know for some of you, this is a super painful topic. Because you are waiting desperately and you've been waiting a long time. You've been waiting for God to bring that right man or woman into your life. You've been waiting for God to provide that baby that you've always wanted. You've been waiting to hear back from the test to discover that the cancer's gone and clean. You've been waiting on God. And I understand, I'm not minimizing that wait. I understand it is so unbelievably painful. And I'm not telling you to just get over it and wait on God. What I'm saying is if you can trust God's timing in your waiting, I promise you, you can experience God's blessings. 
Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit trust God's timing, not their own. And number four, the fourth thing we have to do to increase our dependence on God is I got to trust God's defense, not mine. Trust God's defense, not mine. What am I talking about? What do I mean? This is what I mean. You are always going to have people in your life that don't like you. Always. You're always going to have critics. You're you're always going to have times when the people around you misunderstand you. When they misunderstand your motives or your desires or what you're doing. And those people are going to talk about, speak about, and post online the things they don't like about you. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to attack back? Are you going to spend all your time and energy trying to defend yourself and to set the record straight? Or are you going to let God be your defender? See, being poor in spirit means I trust God to defend me instead of always trying to defend myself. I love this next verse. Psalm 2 verse 12. It says, but he, talking about God, he blesses and what? What's that word? He protects everyone who runs to him. I'm telling you, that is so important in this culture that we live in today. Because in our world, any fool with a phone or a computer can say whatever they want about you, and it becomes instant, permanent, global and searchable it's out there and so you feel this urge I got to set the record straight I got to convince them that I'm not that way and you're never going to convince them and you're going to spend all your time and energy fighting battles that God could solve like that let me tell you something I know it's hard to get something off the internet but it ain't hard for God it ain't hard for God to to cover you to defend you to protect you, you got to trust in his defense. Let God handle it. If you'll do that, if you'll let God be your defender and stop always trying to defend yourself to everybody out there in the world, two things will happen. One, God will do a much better job defending you than you can ever do defending yourself. But secondly, it'll put a whole bunch of time back in your schedule. You'll have more time to do what God has called you to do instead of trying to convince somebody that you're never going to be able to convince. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can ignore all criticism and critique in your life. You need people who love you enough to speak the truth to you. You need people to point out your blind spots and encourage you to change behaviors. We all need accountability in our life. I'm just saying don't try to be held accountable by everybody in the world. Allow God to defend you. So here's my question. Where do you need to run to God? Where do you need to let him be your defender and protector? Maybe that relationship with your ex and all that drama that's going on. Maybe it's that toxic co-worker that you go in every day and you're miserable because you're always trying to defend yourself. Maybe it's that troll on the internet. I don't know who it is, but if you will let God defend you, God will bless you. And then finally, number five, 
the fifth way I can increase my dependence on God, and this is a tough one, and that is to trust God's wealth, not mine. To trust God's wealth, not mine. You know what the number one source of stress in America today is? Money. Money issues. The lack of money. Money problems. It's the leading cause of divorce in America. Problems with money. And there is virtually no difference in the money stress level between rich people and poor people. Whether you got a lot or you got a little, we're all stressed out about it. I guess if you don't have much, you're stressed about where you can get more. And if you got a lot, you're stressed out about figuring out how you can hold on to more of it. But here's what really makes me sad. Statistically, there is no difference in the money stress level between believers and non-believers. There's virtually no difference. Why? Why is this such a stressful issue for us I believe there are a lot of reasons but I think one of the biggest reasons is that we confuse the source with the delivery system what do I mean by that I mean if I go home today and turn on my kitchen sink and no water comes out what am I going to do is I, am I going to say, dear Lord, the world has run out of water. There's no more water left in the world. No, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm going to assume the problem is with the delivery system. You know, either I didn't pay the bill and they cut it off at the meter or there's a problem with the pipe or there's a problem in my area. The problem is not a lack of from the source. The problem is with the delivery system. But for some reason, when it comes to money, we have the exact opposite response. We focus on the delivery system rather than trusting the source. And let me just tell you this. If you are trusting a job, for your finances, you're going to be very insecure because you can lose a job like that. Things can change just like that. Listen, if you are trusting a 401k for your security, you're going to be very insecure because the market could turn tomorrow. If you're trusting the government for your financial security, you're just stupid, <laughs> right? Because they're the worst in the world. But when you recognize that God is the source of meeting my needs, then you realize he can use any delivery system anytime he wants. You lose a job, God can provide another job. You have an unexpected need, God can have an unexpected check show up in your mailbox. He can even make money bubble up out of your backyard like he did for Jed Clampett. Yeah. He can Bless you because he is the source. That's why Paul writes these words in Philippians 4.19. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You understand what he's saying? If you can trust God with your eternal salvation, don't you think you can trust God with your savings? I mean, if God did not spare even his only son, don't you think he can spare a few bucks to meet your needs? So let me ask, how do you know if you're trusting in God's wealth or yours? Number one way is through the level of your giving and your generosity. 
When you are giving and generous, it is proof that you recognize the source is God and it is an unlimited source. In fact, this is the only area in the entire Bible where God says, trust me, test me on it. Throughout the Bible, testing God is a bad thing, but when it comes to money, God says, test me. Give generously and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you. Now listen, I'm not talking about some kind of prosperity gospel doctrine where if you throw a hundred bucks in the plate today, God's going to have a thousand show up mysteriously somewhere this week. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying the more generously you give, the more dependent on God you are, and the more dependent on God you are, the more blessed you are going to be. So whose wealth are you trusting in? You got your eyes on the source, or you got your eyes on the delivery system? So here's what I want to do. I want to close. Let's do a little self-evaluation. Right? Let, let's look at these five things and see how we're doing with being poor in spirit. And what I want you to do is I want to rate your I want you to rate yourself on these five things. Take your outline there. We're going to walk through them. And if you feel like you're doing pretty good, that you're trusting God in this area, put a plus sign. But if it's an area where you know you need a little work, just put a minus sign. Like for wisdom, are you trusting God's wisdom instead of your own? Are you in his word every day? Are you praying and asking him to show you for every decision, every meeting, every step you take? If so, put a plus. If not, maybe put a minus. Or how about strength? Are you worn out all the time? Are you trying to get through the pain of your life on your own strength? If that's true, put a minus. But if you're depending on his, put a plus. How about timing, trusting God's timing? Go ahead and put a minus on that, everybody. Because we know ain't none of us good at trusting God's timing. Or how about defense? You spend a lot of time trying to change everybody's mind, being codependent, wanting everybody to like you. Are you willing to let God be your defender? Plus or minus? How about this one? How about when it comes to wealth? God's wealth. Are you generous? Are you stingy? Not because your heart is stingy. It's just because you don't know when the spigot's going to cut off. You've lost sight of who the source is. Plus or minus, whatever. And then here's what I want you to do. This week when you're together with your home group, talk honestly about the areas of your struggle. Right? Get somebody to come alongside you to help you grow in that area. It ain't going to happen by filling in the blanks and singing hallelujah and walking out of here and getting on with life. It's going to be intentional work to be more dependent on God, to be more poor in spirit. But blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much this morning for just how clear your word is. That you're not playing hide and seek. That we don't have to figure out some kind of magic formula. That you just speak beautiful truth to us through your word. And so God, we confess that the problem is on our end. That we are struggling to depend on you. And so would you move among us, move among your people today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look up here for just a second. You know, talk about being blessed. 
One of the ways that God has blessed our church is through our Global Peace Partners, these amazing folks who do God's work all over the world. And it gives us an opportunity through this partnership and relationship to make a difference in the lives of people we individually may never meet. And I'm so excited this morning that we have Hans and Brandy Ostream who are here. They're our Global Peace Workers all the way from Toronto, Canada. And they work with an amazing organization. They put on sports camps for inner city kids in Toronto. And most of those kids, those inner city kids, actually are immigrants. They come from different countries. They come from places where they've never heard the name of Jesus. And because of our partnership with them, you guys are making a difference. So I just wanted to say thank you all for coming. I know when you're home to visit family, Brandy's parents are Cedar Creekers here. I know your time is so valuable. So that y'all would give up some time to hang with us for two services this morning. We just appreciate y'all and we appreciate the opportunity to just be a part, a small part of what God is doing in your amazing ministry. So talk a little bit about sports camp. How does God use a sports camp for kids to bring hope? Well, and, and first, it's a joy for us to be with you and just to say thank you for your support, your prayers, your encouragement. God is moving in amazing ways. This summer, we celebrated 181 children who've come to faith since we started this program a few years yeah. ago. The most amazing part is 130 of those 181 came out of other major world religions to accept Jesus. Most of the kids that come to our summer camps or our programs throughout the year have never heard the name Jesus. They come and, and they just want to play sports. We, we connect them to local churches and all of our programs. But let me just share one example with you. We had a girl who came to one of our programs and she was just visiting Canada from mainland China for two weeks. It was her second and last week in Canada and she was, uh, her, her, her aunt and uncle put her in our summer camp because they needed something for her to do. She came on Monday, and we share the gospel three times a day in our sports program, simple sports. She heard about a man named Jesus for the first time ever Monday morning. Never heard the name before. She, like many of the kids, thought it was a swear word that she heard in movies. She got to hear about a God that loved her, about a man named Jesus who died on the cross to save her of her sins. She went home Monday, very just heavy laden, came back Tuesday morning and before the halftime at lunch, the second Bible time of the day, she kneeled down and said, I want to proclaim Jesus as my Lord. We started to disciple her that day. We ran and got her a Bible in her heart language. She took it home Tuesday night and she read more of God's word Tuesday night than most of us will read probably in this entire year. I'm sorry if that steps on your toes, but it's true. She came back with handwritten pages of notes and questions Wednesday. We spent all Wednesday discipling her. Thursday morning when she came back to camp, she didn't play sports the rest of the week, by the way. Thursday morning when she came back, had a big smile on her face because you know what she did? Wednesday night when she was reading her Bible, she led her cousin to faith. When she got ready to leave Friday, she looked up at us. And she said, I get to go home now, tomorrow, back to China, back to my village, and I get to be the first missionary ever. I get to go back and share Jesus with my family and friends who have never heard of his name. I want to tell you the most important part of the story. I didn't share this in the first service. This girl is 11 years old. She understood what it means to be on mission. 
I tell you the story because I want to say thank you from our family and our ministry to you, Cedar Creek, because this girl wouldn't know Jesus if it wasn't for your prayers and your support. And just like Han said, I want to tell you a little bit about Toronto where we get to serve. It is one of the most multicultural places in the world. I think it's actually number one right now. Any given day, there are over 200 languages spoken from you know, major countries to unreached and unengaged people groups in our city. And when we moved there, we were thinking, Lord, how in the world are we going to reach all these people? There's no time to learn the languages. We just don't know how to do this. And we went to the park with our four kids, and we saw other kids playing, and we thought, that's it, sports. Every one of these kids, they're drawn to sports. And so we prayed, and God just opened up the doors, and he just threw us into a ministry that we weren't even prepared for. And every summer, and I guess throughout the year we have some leagues, but every summer he just brings kids to our doorstep, basically. And a lot of these kids, they may know English, but their families do not know English. There have been so many times when we're trying to fill out forms with parents, and we're like, oh, just just put something there. <laughs> just put a phone number, we'll call you. Um, and so it's just been an incredible experience to share with these kids. And like Han said, many of them had never heard the name of Jesus. And that's been a really cool thing. And I just want to tell you, because of your giving and your prayers and your coming up to join us, you guys are making an impact that ripples around the world. Because we know for a fact that kids like Grace, they have come to know the Lord, and they share with their families, who share with their families back in their home countries. And because of your giving and all of this, the blessings are just astronomical. So thank you, guys. Just another picture. Yeah. Just another picture of what God does when you depend on Him, not on yourselves. And so... The cool thing is you not only get to meet them, see them, hear their stories, but you can actually be a part of impacting kids in Toronto. You can go, one of our teams, we send a couple teams up there throughout the year. And the cool thing about what you guys do is, you know, not everybody can do construction. Not everybody can be a part of a medical clinic or all that, but everybody can play with kids. So maybe, maybe this is God moving in your heart, encouraging you to consider maybe going if Maybe your first ever Global Peace Outreach trip. If you'd like to know more, if you'd like to get to meet Hans and Brandy and just hear a little more of their heart and hear about you can, how you can be involved, we're hosting a coffee here tomorrow night, 6.30, 6.30, right here, Building 4 of our Banks Mill campus. So come on out. You'll be able to just connect with them in a much smaller environment, hear a little bit more, maybe if God is moving in your heart. So again, thank y'all. I want to take just a moment and pray for y'all and uh, just thank y'all for taking the time. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for Hans and Brandy and your call on their life because we know it is because of you walls are coming down. Light is being shown in some dark places. And God, we thank you that you have blessed our church to allow us to be just a small part to connect and partner with amazing folks like this. So I pray that you would bless their time here with their family, that you would just slow the clock down so they can soak in every moment they're here. And then, God, I pray that you would bless them with safety as they return and bless their work because it's your work and they are dependent on you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.